Uh, let's start with a little Bible trivia. What is the first book of the Bible? Genesis. If we were to look at it chronologically, the correct answer would be Genesis. But if we were to look at it historically, most scholars would say it's actually Job. Job is considered the oldest book of the Bible. Uh, so before we ever read the words in Genesis, let there be light, we get a book about what life is like when the lights go out and we face darkness. Well, most people wouldn't pick Job for a role model. None of us have a poster of him up in our room saying, man, I'd like to be that guy. I can't imagine any ancient Jewish kid saying, hey, let's play Job. I get to be Job and the rest of you get to beat me like a rented mule. Job has some life lessons we can all relate to and desperately need. We've been going through a series called Feeling Trapped, and we've been going through the life of Job. Uh, while people struggle to agree about life's origins, there's a lot of debate, you know, did God make mankind or did mankind make God? Both theists and atheists agree that life hurts. There are times when the lights go out for us all, and we all go through a prolonged period of darkness. No one is immune to the world's sharper edges. Uh, how many of you have ever been hurt? Raise your hand. For some of you, just raising your hand hurt because you just got arthritis and it just doesn't feel good. Uh, how many of you are uh, sitting next to somebody who has hurt you and yet you still sit by each other? That's called grace. Uh, it doesn't matter if you live in a penthouse or your home is the size of an outhouse. And if you have teens, it smells like an outhouse. Uh, you will hurt. You can't outsmart it. You can't outspend it. No one gets a stunt double to do life for them. Everyone has to experience their own bruises and scars. We will all stub our toe, get brain freeze, experience rejection. It's not you. It's me. Or you've been promoted from employee to customer. Gee, thanks. Job is no different. While his life starts in a place of privilege... He watches as the lights in his life collapse into a black hole of hopelessness. Job went from the Midas touch to the Minus touch. Everything he touched just seemed to disappear. Imagine you're an insurance company and a customer files a claim. A thief broke into my home and robbed me, uh, and robbed me of my prized possessions. That's easy to believe. We live in a country where every 18 seconds someone breaks into a home and steals things. But then they go on to claim that another thief broke into their summer home several states away on the same day. Now you start feeling a little suspicious. They're not done yet. On the same day, a large meteor landed on their family business, wiping out the entire facility, and a tornado hit the condo where their kids were staying. Is your life directed by Michael Bay? How quickly are you going to write a reimbursement check? There's no way. It's too coincidental. No one has that much bad luck. There's going to be an investigation. It sounds like fake news or insurance fraud. And yet it's the kind of day Job had. It's the kind of day Job had. His life defies probability. His life defies sanity. In Job chapter 1, verse 14 through 19, we read, A messenger came to Job and said, The Sabaeans attacked, and I am the only one who has escaped. That's bad. Another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens. That's a really bad day. Another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties. Yet another messenger came and said, a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, and all ten of your children have died. 
It's like Job is in the middle of the ocean and every time he tries to catch his breath, another wave comes crashing down on his head. Have you ever felt like that? It's like every time you start to get some type of grounding, some type of, of sanity, another wave comes crashing down upon you. What's your first memory of getting hurt? What's your first memory of getting hurt? My first memory of getting hurt takes place at a circus. Long before the hit movie, The Greatest Showman, came out. Did anybody see that? Great, great musical. Uh, we decided to put on a show for our families. We sold tickets because getting paid to play is way better than playing for free. I was the acrobat, so I was the Zendaya of our show. While I was doing somersaults at the top of the swing, I lost my grip. I learned an important lesson about gravity and the ground. Neither one care who you are. They treat everyone equally. They don't care that you just got baptized and voluntarily shared with your sister. I landed right on my nose. If I was going to hit something as a kid, it was going to be my face. I am lucky I do not look like Quasimodo today. Blood was everywhere. The show was over. We did not give refunds. I hit my nose so hard it was shifted. One nostril is smaller than the other to this day. It's one of the reasons why I can't swim under the water without manually plugging my nose or else I take in water. And it's also one of the reasons why I hate heights. I know that gravity can be a jerk. What goes up must come down and it doesn't always wait for the opportune moment to come down. But here's the point. Pain tends to have a lasting impact. It helps shape how we see the world. Do we see the world as bad with some good? Or do we see the world as good with some bad? Job's theology and worldview will shift because of the season of suffering. Some lessons can't be learned from a book or a classroom. Sometimes the most effective teachings come from the school of hard knocks. It's a hard knock life for us. I want to talk this morning about two unexpected side effects when it comes to suffering. Two unexpected side effects. The first is selfishness. Everyone say selfishness. We don't know a lot about Job's wife. How many of you guys have ever done a study on Job's wife? Nobody. I imagine, uh, we don't know what her name was. I imagine it was something beautiful like Hannah, which means grace. But it could have been Huldah, which means weasel. We don't know. It's hard when a person's life is sentenced to the size of a sentence or two. There's no backstory, no context. We don't know her love language, though it doesn't appear to be words of affirmation. We don't know how long she's been married. Was it love at first sight? Did she swipe right the first time she saw Snoop Job, the name I've given him? All we have is this one statement from her from Job chapter 2, verse 9. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. How many of you would want that to be your moniker, the one thing that you're known for throughout all of history? Curse God and die. It seems pretty calloused and cruel. Most couples fight, things get heated, regrettable things are said. My wife has even made my name sound like a swear word. How do you make Daniel sound like a swear word? But my wife has never told me to die. That seems pretty grave. It's so easy to get caught up in Job's story that we forget about what his wife is going through. She's been given a hard time by many preachers. She's placed on Team Satan. Where's her faith? Where's her support for Job? Why did she give up so quickly? 
but her words should show the depth of her loss, the pain that she's experiencing. It's called the book of Job, but this is her story too. Think about it. Put yourself in her sandals. She just lost all 10 of her kids. A parent should never have to bury one of their kids. Tiny coffins shouldn't exist. Now imagine losing all 10 of your kids on the same day. These are her babies. No matter how old they were, my mom still calls me baby, and I'm in my 40s. But I love it because it comes with chocolate chip cookies. These are the kids she carried for nine months. She changed their diapers, nursed their fevers, taught them their ABCs, one, two, threes, do, re, me's, hip to the hop, she won't stop me's. She prayed for them, dreamed about their futures, imagined their weddings and the day that they would finally move out, and then the day they would move back in, and the day they would move out again. To make matters worse, her husband is sick, and it looks terminal. In those days when a husband died, a wife could lose her property. Stuff usually went to the next male relative, not to the wife, to whoever the next male relative was. Woman's rights wasn't a thing. No vote, no voice, no value. Her situation looks bleak. She might end up homeless. Many ladies who found themselves in the same position became prostitutes. This is not just Job's story. This is her story. This might be Job's test, but she's cursed by association. There should be some empathy for her. What's interesting to me is that Job will talk a lot about his pain his loss, his personal injustice. But we never get a prayer from Job for his wife. Did you ever notice that? Not one single prayer for Job's wife. Now, maybe he did and it's just not recorded. But it is interesting that she's never mentioned several speeches about Job, but none about Mrs. Job. And this got me thinking. When we're hurting, it's so easy to focus on ourselves. Our world is smallest when our hurting is greatest. Our world is smallest when our hurting is greatest. But pain is like fear. The more you focus on it, the worse it becomes. The best thing we can do when we are hurting is to focus on someone else. Serve to the extent that we can. You can do good even when you don't feel good. Galatians 4.13, Paul says, As you know, it was because of an illness that I was first preaching the gospel to you. In other words, I was so sick that I had to stay in that town. It wasn't my intent to go there to preach the gospel, but because I was sick, a platform was created for me to share Jesus with you. Imagine you hear a noise in the middle of the night. You get up to check it out when you step on something worse than a bear trap, a Lego. I think Lego is Swedish for, ah! Your mind zips through a mental Rolodex of all the things you want to scream. And the song, Everything is Awesome, is not one of them. <laughs> Instead, you bite your fist and jump up and down like a thief from Home Alone. You just dare an intruder to try and sneak up on you. They will wish all they did was step on a Lego. Provided you have the frame of mind to pray, who is at the top of your prayer list right now? You. You. You feel all 200,000 nerves in your foot. You desperately need God's intervention. But the second person you're going to pray for is whoever left that Lego out in the middle of the hallway. When we're hurting, our focus tends to be on ourselves. 
We're completely forgotten about the noise that woke us up in the middle of the night. And all we can think about is how much we hurt and how can I stop it as quickly as possible. You see, it's easy to go through life feeling like the main character of our story. If our life was the hobbit, we would all be Bilbo Baggins. If our life was Beauty and the Beast, we'd all be Beauty or Belle. If our life was Winnie the Pooh, we would all be Pooh. Okay, maybe not the best choice, but sometimes our life does feel like Pooh. Let's be honest. We need to remember that our story impacts all the stories around us. We are simultaneously the star of our story, but the supporting star of someone else's story, and the person who doesn't even get mentioned in the credits for other people's stories. Our life is so much bigger than ourselves. Our stories influence the stories of others, and that includes our pain, physically, emotionally, and psychologically. While it's hard to think about others when we're hurting, it's therapeutic. In fact, the word hospitality is related to the word hospital. Hospitality is related to the word hospital. When you are hospitable, you create a hospital for others and yourself. Some of my favorite moments in life involves friends and food. Anyone with me this morning? There's something magical when you get around a large table of people laughing. When you host, you feel like a doctor who hands out medicine to all the others while taking a double dose for yourself. Not sure if HIPAA would approve, but God does. It took me a while to recognize how my health took a toll on my family. My youngest became insecure. He needed to constantly touch me. He said it was because I was soft like Play-Doh. Kids are great for self-esteem. You will notice he's not here this morning. But he needed to know that I wasn't going to leave him like I did when I was staying in the hospital. He needed my reassurance. One of my sons said to me, I wasn't as fun anymore. This was hard to hear because humor has always been a big part of my life and family. Believe me, I don't try to be funny. It's just who I am. I was even told once that I put the fun in funeral. Talk about a compliment. I had people laughing so hard they were crying tears of joy. Old guy, I kid you not, was laughing so hard dentures came flying out of his mouth and it was almost a double funeral. It hurts me to see my family suffer. I have to fight to look for ways to help them, to do good even when I don't feel good. It's so easy to sit back and expect all the healthy people to do that for us because it's our turn to be served. Yet Jesus, in his moments of greatest suffering, still looked out for others. He made sure his mom was taken care of by John while on the cross. If there was ever a moment for selfishness, it's while you're on the cross dying, and yet Jesus looked out for his mom and says, John, take care of my mom. He chose to serve. When I got out of the hospital again, my youngest wanted to play hide and scare. It's like hide and seek, but you try to scare the person when you find them. All I wanted to do was veg, but I know that the love language of a child is play. I forced myself to scare the Winnie the Pooh out of him for a while. I worked it in twice. Even with tape residue and missing patches of hair from where the EKG had just been, you see, my kids won't remember how everything I said, but they will remember how I made them feel. I'm going to say that again. Your, your kids won't always remember what you say, but they will remember how you made them feel. 
And I want them to remember me for being someone who brought them joy. We need to invite people into our story while at the same time investing in their story. We will not always get this right. It's not easy, but it's essential. Job's wife needed prayer and encouragement. Her words were harsh because her world was harsh. There are people in your life who need your prayers and encouragement even when you are hurting. Amen? The second one is fear. When we're hurting, fear begins to creep in because all of a sudden we start feeling like we're out of control and, and we don't no longer control what's going on. Everyone say fear. Job says in Job chapter 3, verse 25, What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Man, that verse bothered me the first time I saw it. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Two of my boys talked me into a haunted corn maze. I'm not a big fan of jump scares. They make me want to jump the one who scares me. I don't recommend throwing me a surprise party. I'm the one who turns into a ninja whenever I run into a spider web or something scary. My technique is terrible, but my wildly flailing limbs are deadly. I look like Pee Wee Herman just touched an electric fence. Or like one of those dancing balloon guys outside of the car lot. My kids assured me that the maze was supposed to be tame. It wasn't like one of those places where you have to sign a waiver promising not to sue them for what might happen inside. As we entered, I was quickly disarmed by all the stuffed characters made out of pumpkins. It seemed like a maze made by Disney. The kids kept saying, see, it's not that bad. They kept teasing me that uh, I was so nervous when it was more sleepy than creepy. But at the end, there was this old school bus that you had to walk through to exit. What could be more kid-friendly than a school bus? But as you stepped into the back door into this black hole, a guy jumps out of the shadows. And one of my sons ran out like a cartoon character, screaming all the way back through the maze. He refused to finish. He's almost a black belt in karate, and yet he left me there to fend for myself. I felt like Mr. Miyagi and Danielson just ran out of the ring rather than ending the match with a famous crane kick. It was up to me to protect myself with flailing arms and legs. I must have looked like a guy in the shallow side of the pool screaming, I can't swim. We all have a list of things that we fear. We try to avoid them. But sometimes you're strolling through life or your kids trick you into a corn maze when what you dread most jumps out at you. And you don't always have the option of running. Job had nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. His nightmare became his reality every day felt like Friday the 13th. We're not told what Job feared most. Was it the death of his kids, the loss of his health, the dip in his finances, feeling abandoned by God, becoming Satan's chew toy or all of the above. All we know is that the thing he prayed against and planned against happened. It may have been improbable. There may have only been a 1% chance. A therapist may have said that will never happen to you, but it happened. Job discovered that God is not a guarantee that what we fear won't happen someday. I'm going to say that again because it's uncomfortable. Job discovered that God is not a guarantee that what we fear won't happen someday. A lesson that should not be taught to kids just before bed, just as a side note. But Job also discovered 
that what he feared most could be endured. He was stronger than the worst thing Satan could dream up to throw his way. Imagine, Satan had a blank check, threw everything at him, and he still survived. Satan did his worst, and yet it's called the book of Job and not the book of Satan because Job came out on top. Is God bigger than your fears? Not just big enough to prevent your fear, but big enough to help you persevere through your fear. What if what you fear most is the door to the greatest opportunities in your life? My one son will never know because he ran out of the corn maze. We may think it's God's full-time job to shield us from the things we fear most, when in reality it's God's heart to shield us from the things that we should fear most. Spending an eternity without him, not reaching our full redemptive potential, shipwrecking our integrity and influence, Sometimes you have to endure a fear to cure another fear. Oh, if I could stand up and dance, I would dance right now. Sometimes you have to endure a fear to cure another fear. And thank God he loves us enough to administer the cure. No matter how much we might dread it, no matter how much we might say, God, why? God has a redemptive purpose behind it. I went to a leadership conference earlier this week. One of the things about my hyper vagatonia is I get random panic attacks, which is awesome. The conference is about to start. I'm in a building with 10,000 people feeling very claustrophobic. There's nowhere for me to go when all of a sudden my heart rate jumps up to 120 and I'm sitting still. It feels like Jesus is jazzercising in my heart. When a wave of panic washes over you, everything within you screams, I'm in danger. I need to flee the situation. I'm going to die. It's as logical as it might be. Your mind and body wants everything within you to run, and it takes tremendous courage to sit and let the panic attack run its course. Because if I give in, I will miss out on what's about to take place. If I give in, I will give in the next time, and the next time, and the next time. Yesterday, I was invited to perform a wedding for a cousin of mine. And it was at his house and he lives on a lake and, and he built this deck out onto the water where we could all go with the bridal party to perform the ceremony. And as you guys know, I have to sit when I'm presenting, but at a wedding, that's not an option, so I have to stand. And he tells me just before we go out onto this deck, he says, I just built this deck and I haven't put the support stuff in yet, so if we all stand too close to one side, it will tip. Guess who has to stand closest to the water? This is great for hypervagatonia and panic attacks. So I have to go out there in my heart rate. I can look at the watch. It's sitting at 150, 160. And here's the deal. It would be so easy for me to run from those situations. To just write a blank check and say, you know what? I, just, I don't do weddings right now. I don't do any of those things right now. But God has called me to serve in spite of what I'm going through. God has called me to serve even when I don't feel good. And I got news for you. I was fine. I mingled afterwards. I took a big nap, but I was fine. Job couldn't run. But by enduring what he feared most, he discovered that he was stronger than his greatest fear. And that God is faithful even when we are fearful. When we suffer, we need to guard against selfishness and fearfulness. When Michael J. Fox first discovered that he had Parkinson's disease, 
His knee-jerk reaction was to isolate and self-medicate. He hid from everyone. He was afraid of what his future was going to look like. He didn't want people to know about his condition. He didn't want people to see him shake and tremor. It took a while for him to finally embrace the pain and start using it to help others. He eventually came forward. He went into the public eye and said, you know what? This is what I have. This is my new reality. And I'm going to use it as a platform to help others. And he set up a foundation where $200 million has been raised for Parkinson's. Never would have happened if he would have kept isolated. Don't allow your pain to cause you to isolate and self-medicate. Instead, use it as a catalyst to serve and give hope. In John chapter 13, verse 1, and we'll end with this verse. It says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He knew the suffering he was about to experience. But listen to this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. While the crown of thorns was placed on his head, he loved you. While he was spit on, he loved you. While he was beaten with a whip, he loved you. While he was nailed to the cross, he loved you. While he took his last breath, he loved you. While he suffered unimaginable pain, he loved you. He loved you to the end. And he's called us to have the same graduate level love that even when we hurt, we still look for ways to invest in and help out those who are around us. Not to allow our pain to defeat us, but to be a platform to bring hope and healing to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence. Father, we thank you that you can redeem our pain and that you can help us to make an eternal difference in other people's lives. And Father, we place our struggle into your hands and say, Father, use it. God, just like Job's, Job never would have chosen to go through what he went through, God. Those months of agonizing suffering. And yet, if it was not for that, we wouldn't have the book of Job, which gives so much hope to others. And God, some of us, we've had to suffer greatly, but you're using it in a redemptive purpose to bring hope to others. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In your name, amen.